Welcome to the public morality. In the aftermath of the 2020 election, Fox News repeatedly broadcasted the false claim that then-President Joe Biden's victory was the result of a rigged election. But off the air, the network stars, producers, and executives expressed contempt for those same conspiracy theories calling them, quote, mind-blowingly nuts, unquote, and, quote, totally off the rails, unquote. In negotiating this philosophical divide, Fox may have created a moral conundrum by telling his viewers what they wanted to hear rather than the uncomfortable truth. To discuss these latest revelations, I'm joined by Professor Benjamin A. Davis. Professor Davis is Chair of the Department of Multimedia Journalism at Morgan State University. Professor Benjamin A. Davis, welcome back to The Public Morality. Glad to be here, Byron. Well, for the purposes of this conversation, how do you define journalism? What is it? Well, uh, for me, it's always been a very simple definition, and I try to pull away from some of the more lofty definitions that I've heard over the years uh, to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted and just various ways of defining what journalism is, uh, usually by elite journalism elites, uh, defining it within their own little bubble. Uh, but for me, I took a step back and said, you know, I tell my students, I said, what I think the role of journalism and what journalism is, is simply to seek the truth, attain the truth, and reveal the truth. And that's where you start, that's where you stop. And it doesn't take a Harvard degree to understand what that means. No pun intended there, Byron, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Hey, when when you have when you have a fifty five billion dollar endowment, you can take you can take a couple of hits. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, does does journalism in that in in that sense does it have the same overarching role that when the freedom of press was enshrined in the Constitution back in seventeen eighty seven? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's actually bigger now because technology has. It created so many different paths that journalism can venture down in terms of getting information out to, to people. And there's this constant debate as to whether or not what applied uh, during the founding of this nation uh, with the First Amendment, does it apply now? Uh, because so much has changed and uh, technology still falls under those protections, I think. Uh, human nature has not changed. Technology has, but human nature has not. And uh, journalism is fundamentally an act of human nature, trying to transfer bits and pieces of information one way or the other, either through voice or through smoke clouds or uh, through singing, various ways of communicating, all of that, you know, that's how I define journalism. And that's part of human nature, those acts. And um, it was true back then, it's true now. Before we get into specifics of um, the, the situation at Fox News, um, mm -hmm. in fairness, um, we've never had a press that was just completely void of some notion of bias. Maybe not being, mm -hmm. maybe not be deliberate, but you had Jeffersonian newspapers and Hamiltonian yeah. newspapers. William Randolph Hearst had his infamous yellow journalism. And for that matter, we have the more organic, implicit bias just based on how we view something through our own lens. So um, 
the public records indicate that Fox News was was in some ways sort of operating in that unsavory but no less journalistic reality. How would you respond to that? Well, they um, they were doing what they have to do in order to maintain uh, good relationships with their shareholders. That's the bottom line. I mean, they are a Murdoch company, and it's always the bottom line. And then politics, and then influencing. But they're going to make money before they do anything. They make money, they can do more of what they like to do. And they're very good at doing that. And Fox just, they fall right in line with what the owners want. Uh, what does it take in order for you to keep the ratings up so you can make more money for, uh, for the company? And uh, that, that's not necessarily journalism. It will fall under the umbrella of journalism, which is a massive umbrella. Um, and so much falls under that. And I, people need to remember that journalism is not the New York Times and PBS and Frontline. It's those, but it's a lot more than that. Now, journalism is art at a museum, depending on what the uh, artist wants, what message he wants or she wants to convey. Uh, journalism is you know, reporting uh, from Hollywood on fashion shows. Journalism is a blog that a kid is working on in his or her basement. Journalism is so many things. It allows so many activities to take place and it's all protected. If, it's, if, if a person could make the argument that what I'm doing is protected by the First Amendment, then that is journalism when it comes to communication. And for that reason, no one really owns journalism. No one has the standard of journalism. The standards are uh, being invented and reinvented and changing all of the time, uh, especially in, in the uh, digital age. And my favorite journalist, and I may have talked, spoken to you about this before, but my favorite journalist is Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin was okay, but his brother James was a real radical. He was the one that was put in jail for his beliefs and the things that he said about the government of Massachusetts. And he had a bias. Some people would say that was a good bias. You know, he was criticizing uh, corruption and cronyism in the government. And they figured out ways to put him in jail and kept him from running his printing press. And he just said to his brother, you know, Ben, why don't you take over until I get out of from behind bars? And Ben did, and Ben was just as bad. He was basically echoing what his brother was writing all along. And uh, that was journalism. And they, Franklin, really advocated a free press for that reason. He saw how a, an opinion could end up changing a person's life for the negative because of what the government or outsiders uh, thought. And that type of reaction the Franklin brothers face is not different from uh, what many people face today. And I make the point that, and I love to make the point actually about uh, modern day, what I would like to call original uh, rappers um, in the U.S. and the messages they were sending out through their rap. They were criticizing the government, police, just as the Franklin brothers were criticizing uh, the government. Um, they were put in jail, original rappers, some of them served time in jail, just like the Franklin brother, one Franklin brother served time in jail. But that, that that's journalism, you know, whether it's rap music or, you know, um, running your own little, I call it an analog blog, but you know, your own printing press as Franklin did. Um, that's part of journalism. Uh, the art in the Detroit Institute of Art, um, the, one of my favorites is the Diego Rivera mural 
about uh, labor and pharmaceutical companies and the role that they all play in the life of uh, places like Detroit. That message that Rivera was conveying is journalism. He's telling a story. Uh, So you can go to the New York Times, you can watch CBS News and get a certain form of journalism as well. But what Fox News is doing, yeah, it's, it's journalism. Uh, it falls under the umbrella of journalism, and they are protected unless there are certain rules you, you cannot break. They may, have, they may be dancing close to breaking those rules. I guess the courts will figure that out. Well, I'm glad, I'm, that basically brings me to my next question, because um, some of the talk show hosts, Sean Hannity in particular at Fox, mm-hmm. openly professes not to be a journalist. So is he trying to have it both ways? I mean, how, how do you see that? How, given your last definition, how can he not be a journalist? Well, he is doing that for the consumption of uh, his viewers who don't like journalists. But if he had to go to court and his corporate attorneys had to defend him, they will defend him <laughs> under the umbrella of journalism. Uh, so th- these anchors at Fox, they have to live this duality, which is the one for their viewers, uh, which is usually, you know, rabble rousing, uh, sounding like good old boys, making fun of liberals. And then there's the other side, which is really corporate, which has to do with what the lawyers say is right, uh, which has to do with maintaining your millions of dollars a year in salary, you know, which has to do with your still having a place on the island, meaning Long Island in, in New York and paying the mortgage. Um, they, they have to maintain both of those lifestyles at the same time, one on the air and the other at, at home. So when he says something like he's not a journalist, he's saying that to the people that he considered to be his good old boys out there. Um, but once he gets dragged into court, his lawyers are going to say, you're a journalist, buddy, forget it. And therefore you, 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 um, that's why they're arguing the, for the free speech protections. Yeah. Uh, as someone um, who has has demonstrated a commitment to the fourth estate, talk about the impact, if any, this the revelations of Fox and these these um, at least this side of the uh, emails changes that have been made public and the text messages. Does this have any potential impact? Uh, on journalism more broadly, how do you, how do you see that? And is it something that you may be uh, talking about with your students? It um, it leads. I, I think people are going to continue to be confused about exactly what journalism is and um, and who represents it. And that's why and the definition I gave you earlier. That's why I think it's important to keep it very simple because there's so much confusion around. Uh, what journalism is and and what the standard for journalism is. Well, the standard is truth. It's just plain and simple. The standard is truth. So many people are confused. And you have viewers of Fox News who believe that Fox is basically the standard bearer of the truth. And there's nothing in the world that uh, anyone can do to change that. Um, Fox has to has the responsibility, though, to tell what it actually knows is the truth. And if it doesn't tell the truth when it knows what the truth actually is, well, then Fox is in trouble. And that's probably the only check that journalism has on itself. And that that's the truth. And that's what the courts basically have said. Well, you have to know what the truth is. You tell the truth. And if you tell otherwise and you know what the truth is and you 
tell a falsity, well, then you have some issues going on. But it's okay for them to go ahead and let their bias be exposed. There's no problem with that. Um, it's it's um, okay for them to be opposed to the president blatantly. All of that is, is good. I mean, it's, it's what I believe it was Stuart Mill uh, who thought that the idea of John Stuart Mill, who had the idea of making sure that there were different thoughts in this country, uh, people with opposing points of view, getting their opposing points of view out there. Uh, it was Justice Oliver, Oliver Wendell Holmes is the one, he made the phrase, I believe, the marketplace of ideas. That's the one I've always held on to because I don't follow Supreme Court cases that much except for a couple of them. But that one I particularly like because we need the Fox News is out there and the Newsmaxes and the MSNBCs and the Roland Martin and uh, all of the different types of ideas that are rolling around in the airways and digitally in terms of opinion. We need those because the truth bubbles up to the surface. And there's a bubbling taking place right now with Fox News and the election um, of, of 2020, and the, the January 6th insurrection or riot I should say, um, they, there's a truth that is bubbling up. There was a lie that was placed out there and was fostered and curated for a long time, for many months by a former president. But now the truth is bubbling up. And that's a real test of information and journalism. Uh, what is the truth? And that's what the marketplace of ideas is supposed to create and foster that once you have so many ideas out there, eventually what's going to come out is the truth. You, you mentioned truth. And I was just thinking that when I mean, people, uh, depending on the memes of your social media friends, um, some of mine will harken back to the days of Walter Cronkite, like the good old days. Yeah. And one, one of the things that gets lost is that when CBS, NBC, and ABC were independently owned, the news had the luxury, and I use luxury in air quotes, had the luxury of not being a money generator. Mm -hmm. um, once these news, once these corporations got taken over, the news department had to carry its own financial weight. Does that, in your view, put truth in some jeopardy? Yes, yes, it, it does within that particular uh, bubble. I mean, what you end up having is uh, journalism on the cheap, and it in turn cheapens journalism. And there are people and there are corporations and there are shareholders who are not ashamed of that. Uh, and the, a while ago, when CBS was known as the Tiffany Network, um, the owner, uh, I believe it's uh, Palin, I believe that's his name, uh, he, he was not ashamed I mean, he was ashamed of crass journalism, poor journalism, and he would not uh, allow it. But he was one owner, and he did not say that the bottom line has to be priority with the journalism that you do. In other words, you did not have to make money. Turned out that he did have a big money maker in, in uh, 60 Minutes, but um, now it's not quite that way. Um, there's There are local enterprises, there are national enterprises, there are online enterprises that still have that journalism protection, that First Amendment protection, but they're driven by um, making money and creating personalities. So you have car chases replacing school board meetings. 
Yeah, murders replacing community issues that people should know about. There, there are exceptions to that, though. I, I have to point out that um, Spectrum News has started um, what is going to be a very strong trend in local news reporting by uh, having what they call community reporters. And they're doing stories that are the antithesis of car chases. You know, what's happening in your neighborhood? What's happening with your neighbor? Um, you're more likely to trust a community reporter because you know him or her. You'll see them at the supermarket. Uh, you'll see them at community meetings. You're more likely to trust them before you will trust the AP, the Associated News, giving you information, or before you trust uh, someone coming from Washington, D.C. or New York. And that's the direction that journalism is going. Talk about um, the first, how far does the First Amendment uh, privileges uh, protect journalists? How far can a journalist go before they may find themselves in some sort of legal jeopardy by what they report? What, what are the limits? You know, you can go so far down that road. I mean, you can go all the way down to the end of the road and then a few inches more in terms of bad journalism, making mistakes and still have that, that protection. And it does go back to that idea of Oliver Wendell Holmes of having a marketplace of ideas. So you do want to allow mistakes and be tolerant of mistakes. And so journalists can make mistakes. They can report falsities and still um, have the protection of the First Amendment. And that, that is good. Um, but if they do it, it's what some organizations like Fox News have to keep in mind, and I'm sure the lawyers remind them is, is that if you know something is wrong and you go ahead and report it, then you're probably gonna be in trouble. And that's having a reckless disregard for the truth. And then and there's another piece to that is if you do it with the intention of hurting someone on the other end of that information, those two things coupled together is um, like a 99% chance that you're going to end up losing some type of battle in court. So they, yeah, we, there's a lot of freedom, but when you tie it together with having actual malice uh, and a reckless disregard for the truth, this is, I call them the Sullivan principles. They're part of the New York Times v. Sullivan decision. Uh, it was in 1964 by the Supreme Court. And it's a standard that's held for a long time. It's had various interpretations. It's gone from affecting how uh, public figures could be um, wronged and how uh, public officials could be wrong. And um, it, it's, um, I think journalists, whether they are blogging or writing for newspapers where you can find them, uh, whether you're on television, no matter what you're doing, those principles still apply. And if so, if you're being nasty to someone on purpose and you're lying on purpose, you're in trouble on purpose. Um, I, I think we should know, uh, I think embedded in your answer is that so far as this uh, case is developing, all we have are one side of uh, a set of legal documents that have been made public. So we hear the, the, we see the Fox text, the Fox emails. We don't have the other side. We don't have Fox's defense. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing you say, it's um, as damaging as these may appear to the naked eye, it's quite possible, given that wide berth that you discuss, in particular with New York Times v. Sullivan, that 
Fox um, may not be liable. That's quite possible here. Yeah, it's a tall standard to me. Yeah, you have to prove that there was uh, some type of premeditation to go out there and uh, damage someone, uh, whether it be the Democrats or Dominion. There was the um, voter machine company. Was there a direct intention to damage them? And uh, did they know what the actual truth was? And then did they back away from that truth uh, in, in the reporting? The fact that I believe um, when they were doing the Dominion story, maybe they didn't like some of the people involved, some of Trump's advisors like Giuliani and uh, Sidney Powell. And on the air, they just love them. And then off the air, I like, hate their guts. Well, that's business from these guys, or guys like Hannity and you know the anchors at Fox. That's that's business. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a breach of journalistic uh, morals that are protected by the First Amendment. Assuming the validity of the news reports um, that have been released, the text messages and the emails, um, Fox, obviously, and you, you touched on this earlier, their, their primary focus appears to be on the, the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, more, more so than perhaps uh, journalistic ethics. Talk, that's a business model that, in, in my view, evokes, evokes a measure of cynicism. Talk about mm -hmm. how, how that type of cynicism can exist in a democracy and does it threaten democracy in your view, given, especially given Fox's dominance in the media landscape? Uh, the threat to democracy is, is that people don't know what the truth may be. Um, uh, and so it's going to lead to confusion. And you can ask um, the leaders of China's propaganda agencies, especially Putin, uh, who's a master of propaganda, and uh, other countries or sovereigns that may think that the U.S. is an enemy of theirs, they understand that if there's confusion within the citizenry, then there is going to be a weakness towards democracy, for democracy. Uh, so when Fox or anyone else puts forth information that is wrong and someone else comes along and says, no, that's wrong, this is the actual truth, there's confusion right there. Uh, it, it weakens democracy, but it doesn't kill democracy, it weakens it. What strengthens democracy, though, is that when the lie is repeated enough that you realize, but wait a minute, that's not the truth, because the truth keeps coming out. Every time you mention this lie, truth keeps coming back stronger and stronger and stronger. And if you even notice that the Democrats, adopt, well, President Biden led this idea of calling things the big lie. So every time a lie like, Jan, like the uh, election was stolen was brought forth, it was reversed with a lie, a lie, a lie. And so what challenged the lie? The courts challenged the lie. Democracy challenged the lie. And no one challenged what people said was the truth. The truth never faded away. Only the lie faded away. And that faded away through so many court decisions, so many state legislatures, so many news anchors coming around and saying, well, uh, the truth is this, yes, we actually lost the election. So what happened, it goes back to Oliver Wendell Holmes again, this idea of marketplace of ideas. The idea of truth stayed strong and the lie faded away over time especially as it has to do with the January 6th insurrection and Trump losing the election. And everybody knows that Trump lost the election.
and Trump knew he lost the election. Uh, so it's the strength of democracy there is, is that the lie became less important and the truth became stronger. And history is going to reveal that the truth is what the uh, people needed to know. So it's, it's good for democracy. It weakens, but it doesn't kill democracy at all. Um, earlier, I, uh, we, we began this conversation by asking you to, to define journalism. Um, mm. Is media and journalism interchangeable terms, or do you distinguish between them? Um, I think they're, I think they're interchangeable. And this digital age is, uh, I, anything, any form of communication, uh, I consider to be journalism. There are so many people that would disagree with me on that, that wanted to take a ivory tower approach to journalism and you know, coat that word in some type of golden protection. And it's only this, it's only one thing, but it, no, it, there's no way that's, that is so antiquated. Uh, in the digital age, uh, journalism is any form, in my opinion, any form of communication that can, at the end of the day, scream, I have First Amendment protection. Uh, that's, that's journalism. And we have to be prepared for, to accept that and accept the different types of points of view that will come with that. And that's what makes a, a democracy strong. Having courts that will say he or she has the right to say what they just said is important to this democracy. That makes democracy strong. Uh, but to say, no, this person actually does not fit within the definition of journalism that this country should respect. Therefore, they are out there on their own. That weakens a democracy. Democracies are supposed to be about inclusion. And as we build this democracy, because it's nowhere near perfect, but as we build it, we have to include. We have to include the people we don't like. We have to include the opinions we don't like. We have to include the technologies that we may necessarily not like. For instance, TikTok. You have to include TikTok. In journalism. And I mean, I was scratching my head for a while, figuring out how am I going to teach TikTok journalism? Uh, but I, I think I figured something out. It has to be taught. You have to figure out how to include that technology and in communications in journalism. Uh, for one reason, that's, that's where people are. You have to go where a lot of people are. But also, you want the diversity of ideas, you want the diversity of technology. And uh, that strengthens journalism, it strengthens democracy. On that note, talk about the history uh, of journalism in this context. We, um, certain pundits like to offer that. Um, we are now in a phase where um, people can pick their channels a la carte and, and have mm. a media that, that uh, affirms their truth. Um, haven't we always had that in varying degrees? Just the technology has made those type of choices more accessible. It's too convenient now. It's just amazing. Yeah, I only want to watch news now that's going to reinforce what I already believe, what I, what I like, and anything that tries to intrude on that, I don't. I just push another button and and it goes away. But you know what? When the earth shakes and buildings come down, when there are hurricanes. Uh, you don't care about Hannity's opinion. You only care about feeding your family, protecting your family. And that's when journalists have the opportunity to stand up and be recognized for what they're supposed to do, which is get information out to people that they need. 
get truthful information out to people right away. Um, at that point, people don't care about the mirror. They don't care about the, the uh, echo chamber. So journalism has to be prepared to take advantage of opportunities like that, and then try to extrapolate that type of opportunity into an everyday way of communicating with people. What do they need at this moment and how can I give it to them? And how will they know that what's coming at them from me is the truth? That's, we have to treat every journalism issue like it's a hurricane. Give people something that they need. Give something that's going to help them. Give them information that will inform them. So give, them give them something that's going to make them make decisions that are good for them, for their community. And that's not always a car chase. It's not always telling them about the you know, next murder, uh, the murders that are coming, that are happening and the crime that's happening. It's not always that. There are issues that are more important to them that they need to know about it doesn't mean that the murders aren't important. They are important, but are they more important than bigger community issues that people need to know? So treat every news story like a hurricane. Treat every news story like an earthquake, which is what do people need to know right now in order to improve their lives, in order to stay safe, in order to stay informed. And when you put the shareholder in that, put them in that mix, well, then it gets a little... It's a little murky. It's a little murky, but there, there's still pure journalism that can be found. I'm gonna just digress for a moment. I'd like to have you talk about the importance because oftentimes when we hear about the decline of newspapers, uh, which has been well-documented, mm -hmm. we seldom is there specific conversation about the importance of investigative journalism. Talk mm. about that importance of investigative journalism and its impact on a democracy in, in terms of holding the, the powerful accountable. Um, the understanding that investigative journalism is so raised that people know how important it is that you find funds that are funding journalists to start investigative journalism organizations and groups and, and um, uh, units, investigative units. Even though newspapers have, are declining or have declined, I should say, uh, the need to have someone that's gonna go out and report on the wrongdoings of police and the uh, wrongdoings of the mayor and politicians and you know, poison water in the neighborhood, everyone recognizes that's still important. So if the corporations don't want to spend money on those type of stories because it's not good for views versus a car chase, there are people that are stepping up and filling the void. And we're just at the very beginning of people who are stepping up and filling, filling the void. There's this prize called the Mosaic. And I, I can only talk about it so much for certain reasons, um, conflict of interest reasons, but a uh, woman by the name, I forget for her name, Celine. There's a woman in Los Angeles who reports online and she exposed the brutality of the LA Sheriff's Department, uh, some of the abuses they were involved in and how they formed gang units. The LA Times could have gotten that story, they didn't. Um, this local NBC could have gotten, did that story, but they didn't. She had this woman, uh, who decided to sink her teeth into the fact that uh, she believed that the LA Sheriff's Department had gangs running around within them. They were wearing their own tats, own tattoos, and then they would 
put on the sheriff's department uniform and they had names for their gangs and they committed abuses. Um, that type of reporting, that type of investigative reporting, there will be more of it. There will be young people in down the street noticing issues in their neighborhood. And they'll have, have access to the internet and they will decide to do their own reporting. Uh, so uh, there, are, there will be billions of Rupert Murdoch's. There already are to some degree. Uh, the person, the young lady, the 17 year old woman who shot uh, the video of George Floyd being murdered by the police officer. Her work is just as powerful as Rupert Murdoch's. Think about the influence those 17 seconds had on the world. So the investigative journalism, people are gonna realize more and more that if we do it responsibly, if we do it so people will believe us, well then, investigative journalism will actually get stronger. This is, we're at the beginning of a renaissance uh, for journalism, thanks to the smartphone, thanks to online, uh, the ability to go online and the, the internet. And uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name of the woman who won the Mosaic Award. She's a freelance journalist. Um, but the work that she did, one person, one person alone, make, made a huge difference in Southern California and the way that um, the sheriff's department's behavior will be. And it probably led to their uh, sheriff losing, uh, Villanueva losing the, uh, the election that he was just involved in. So yeah, investigative journalism uh, has a very pristine future, if you ask me. Uh, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier, you, you, you mentioned um, that Fox apparently has a, uh, a commitment to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, so and, and so the result is to tell is to tell viewers what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, does does that make the viewer the de facto editorial chief of Fox News? Yeah, yeah. If they keep pushing, you know, clicking on watching Fox News and wanting to go to their websites. Yeah, that sort of makes them the bosses. But what Fox understands, being a great capitalist, the Murdoch family, the family is, is that pretty soon those clicks are going to be, those fingers are going to be too feeble to click Fox. They're going to die off, in other words. And they will be ready for whatever is next, what the next audience will be. Uh, Fox will not have a choice but to migrate towards whatever is going to be the next profit center for the viewership. I believe their average age now is somewhere in the 60s, upper 60s. Uh, but when all those cats die off, they're still going to have to uh, make money. And it could, you know, it could be your guess as to what market that will be, what ethnic group that will be. Uh, will it be a, a thought, a certain way of thinking, a certain ideology as opposed to a particular ethnic group? But uh, yeah, Fox is going to make its money. They will figure that out. I, I've always, I predict that the Fox that will exist in 15 years will look nothing like the Fox we see now because the family and the corporations want to figure out that there's another market that we need to drill into, discover the mother load for that market, and then exploit the heck out of it, just like they did with the uh, Caucasian male audience. America's democratic republican form of government originally assumed an engaged citizenry now we can certainly mm -hmm. debate 
on the on the limits they placed on who was a citizen and who was not. Mm -hmm. But isn't the revelations about Fox indicative of an increasing passive citizenry where consuming news is less about information and more so about uh, confirming one's previously held beliefs, which is sort of antithetical to journalism. Your thoughts, sir? Citizens are less engaged. And I, I witness that with my, my students all the time. It's like, hey, I don't watch the news because I don't have to watch the news. I prefer not to watch the news. And um, the mind suck of TikTok uh, reinforces that I can do something better than watching the news. I can watch 30 second clips of nothingness. And the news doesn't give me that same uh, adrenaline rush as, as talk, TikTok does. People choose not to be informed. Uh, and when they do choose to be informed, the eyes take on watching images as opposed to moving words along the page with your eyes. Uh, it's a passive way of using your eyes. Uh, people prefer the passive way of using their eyes, which is letting images flow by as opposed to letting the eyes make movements over a page. That type of information gathering by the part of the citizenry is making us more and more lazy uh, and caring less about what actual news is. Uh, it's just whatever information is thrown at me that makes me feel good, I will accept it as entertainment, I will accept it as news. So what we're trying to do here at Morgan State where I'm the chairman of the multimedia journalism department is we're, we're going to be engaging TikTok journalism because we know that it exists. We know it has to exist. Uh, so we're gonna get the five W's of any news story and we have to surround it with candy. We have to surround it with music. We have to surround it with graphics and flash. And in the middle of all, of all that, five W's that are fact. And that's how you have to reach the millions and millions of people on TikTok who don't like news who don't like the ABC Evening News, who don't, don't like the NBC Nightly News, who don't like PBS, who don't like the New York Times, but they still need to be informed. So you're gonna creep into their safety zone and say, hey, look at this fancy graphic. Hey, listen to this music. Hey, look at those flashy pictures. Guess what, right in the middle of all that is information that you need to know. That's, that's how you have to approach a citizenry that doesn't want to watch uh, news and information that is for their own good. You mean they wouldn't be titillated by the conversation between Byron Williams and Benjamin Davis? Is that what you're saying to me, sir? That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just you, me, and maybe my wife, my, my daughter might tune in. But I, no, there are a lot more people that will love to listen to this conversation. But this younger, the younger generation, I can tell you, they don't want to be bothered with it. But if there's a natural disaster, if there's an earthquake, they're not going to go to TikTok. Well, actually, the thing is, is that they will be on TikTok and we want to meet them there with the information. Uh, and I, I think there are reasons of national security that we should be concerned about TikTok. I believe that we should also be questionable of the motives of the, um, the executive suite of TikTok, if you can call it the executive suite. I think their motives there are not pristine. I don't think that... They are anti, I think they are anti-democracy, but nevertheless, that's where they are. We have to go there. We have to meet the young people there and the people who are using TikTok. We have to meet them there with, with journalism. So we'll fight this battle now 
reaching them. We'll fight the battle. Uh, whether TikTok is good or not, good enough for democracy, we'll fight that later. But right now we have to find out where they are, go to them and say, hey, look, here's some news and information. Here's some good journalism. Uh, we're going to present it to you in a different fashion and hopefully you'll watch it. They'll watch it. Now, for those not ensconced in the Fox News bubble, I mean, it's quite possible that Fox um, could lose the judgment against uh, Dominion voting systems, mm -hmm. uh, be found guilty of promoting falsehoods, but maintain credibility with its viewers. All three mm -hmm. of those things are possible. Yeah. Um, given it, given it would, um, if they were found guilty, given it would, it would violate the journalistic standards that you and I have discussed in this conversation. Would that represent the worst case scenario where they were found guilty of systematically engaging in falsity but not lose viewership? Uh, yeah, but you know, it's like when Donald Trump said that he could shoot and kill someone on Fifth Avenue and people would still yeah. love him. I'm really paraphrasing there. But Fox knows that if it's accused of doing something wrong journalistically, it just emboldens their audience that, oh yeah, well, Fox is definitely one of us. And uh, it's because if the journalists hate them or courts hate them for journalistic reasons, then that makes them even more our, our type of, of, of network. Uh, but no matter what they do, journalism is going to survive as long as at the end of the day, there's a small group of people that are set on getting the truth out. And thanks to the internet, that could be one kid with a smartphone, or it could be uh, one woman in LA uh, working her blog. It could be a group of housewives in the suburbs uh, doing reporting. That will all counter whatever it is that Fox is doing in terms of being irresponsible when it's irresponsible. It has its responsible moments. And you know, I can't stomp on Fox too hard because I used to work there. I love some of the people there. I see people, I know there are people behind the scenes there who don't necessarily agree with some of the things that the primetime anchors are doing, but they have to feed their families. You know, they need a job. And so I, that's another reason I'm always slow to criticize Fox because there are folks there who have to put, put food on the table. And, uh, they're putting food on the table differently than the way Hannity is. Hannity's not putting food on the table. Hannity's putting away golden bars and buying up tea, treasury bills and uh, buying properties. He wants to keep doing that. They wanna keep feeding their families. Nevertheless, the aggregate of what Fox does in its aggregate, it still doesn't compete with what one person will be able to do. We're in, in an internet age, in a digital era, and that one person multiplied by hundreds, by thousands of people, uh, they will counter the truth. They will counter the lies. They will counter the politics. They will counter all the things that are bad for, for journalism coming from organizations like Newsmax and Fox. Those many, many individuals in their digital worlds will be able to counter that. So I put up with Fox, you know, whenever they, you know, Tucker Carlson, those guys decide they're going to, uh, pick up their platform and advocate a certain thing. Sometimes that may not be true. doesn't bother me that much. It takes me back to the marketplace of ideas. That's cool. But I think over time, what's going to remain constant is the truth. 
and what's going to become less and weaker will be the lie. Uh, January 6th is a perfect example. The farther we get away from January 6th, the more people recognize what the truth is and what the lie is. Well, since you mentioned January 6th, I, I was just thinking along the continuum, we, we've, we've had bullbeats uh, um, throughout our history, whether it's Father Coughlin, we've had Rush Limbaugh, um, we've had primetime hosts at Fox, uh, specific to the, 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 the primetime format. Uh, do, do they, in your view, as, as we move further away from January 6th, do they, in your view, uh, contribute to what was January 6th? with their reporting. Um, yeah, they, they were like, let's see, what the spark would have been uh, the former president, the fire, those guys, those lawbreakers of the thugs that decided to attack police officers and uh, rage through the Capitol. But I think Fox and Newsmax, those guys were basically the wind. They saw the fire and they said, let's flame it some but they really didn't start it. And um, I, I don't think they can be held responsible in any legal sense. Uh, I think in a moral sense, yes, they could be um, held responsible. Uh, journalistically, well, they were practicing a form of journalism that works, that goes to the business side, to the profit motive. And you, you that's okay. As long as they don't break those Sullivan rules, they, they can get away with it. It's okay with me. Um, they're making a little money off of it. That's okay. That's fine. Were they telling lies? Um, yeah. If someone's going to take them to court, well, it has a high standard to meet. Uh, but all that's okay with me. You know, I'm a little weird, okay? But I'm very patient. I'm saying if you're going to tell lies about what happened at January 6th, eventually the truth is going to come out. And the citizenry needs to be told of that truth. But where are they? Tell you, this generation is not watching Fox News. <laughs> They're not watching MSNBC or CNN. They don't even, half of them don't know what a television is. I'm just joking. But um, they're getting their news and information a much different way. And it's not from, you know, saying, oh boy, I gotta you know, scroll over to Fox for a moment. It's, it's not happening. The people that are really concerned about January 6th and media and Fox and CNN, they tend to be above a certain age group. And um, it's not, not the ones that I teach, this age group. Uh, I ask them, what do they aspire? What type of journalists do they aspire to be? CNN, Fox, MSNBC is never in the conversation, not once. And they don't listen to uh, Benjamin Davis and Byron Williams in conversation about important issues about democracy either. But right. I digress. Yeah. Well, they're stuck in my class, half of them. <laughs> they, can't, they can't run out of the class. I say, wait, who's going to give you a grade then if you're going to leave? Oh, Professor, I'll be right back. Okay, that's good. Then my recommendation, sir, is that you force them to. My recommendation, sir, is you force them to listen to this conversation. <laughs> um, Professor Davis, I, I want to thank you so much, sir, for, oh. for joining me today on the public morality. As always, always be great you. to be in conversation. The public morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. 
The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the Paul McRally on WSNC can now listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click Open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama, for allowing us to broadcast the Paul McRally at their studios. The Paul McRally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.